Hello, I'm Kevin Richard. Nine days into the fall semester, President Marlene Trump and fellow administrators at Boise State University issued a stern warning to the campus community. They said that rising coronavirus cases, record coronavirus cases, were threatening in-person instruction and campus events, including athletics. That was three weeks ago, and where do things stand right now? Classrooms remain open to students, and Albertson Stadium remains open to football fans. I sat down with President Trump on Monday to talk about pandemic protocols, but also to talk about innovation on campus and her vision for political discourse in these divided times. Here's our conversation. Well, President Trump, thank you for taking the time to uh, join us on the podcast this week. This feels like this should be a video podcast because we're sitting here on the quad. It's a beautiful afternoon. Um, thank you for making the time to, to talk. I'm so pleased to be here. We have to start with uh, where we are with the fall semester and the Delta variant. I mean, you began a couple of weeks in, you and your fellow administrators, with a very strong warning to the campus community that everything was in jeopardy, in-person learning, campus events. Where do we stand right now? It, the extraordinary thing is we saw the same thing this year that we saw last year when we sent out a message, when we saw things rates starting to climb um, last year, and we sent out a message to our campus community, our students responded and the rates came back down again in, in very quickly and we've seen a decline two weeks in a row right. since we sent that message out. And so I think it was just, you know, our students are highly, highly motivated to be on campus and in person. They want to be here. And so we just needed to remind them those public health practices are critical for us to do that because we want that too. As you may recall, Kevin, I hosted a national summit on the importance of us really being there to support our students. And one of the ways we do that is to have that in-person experience. So are you comfortable right now with the numbers that you're seeing in terms of the cases? And you do, can you mention that the cases have dropped a little bit over the past couple of weeks? Uh, are you comfortable with these numbers and the overall uh, state of the, the variant on campus? Yeah, I think we're seeing um, our trajectory is the right direction. We're right. moving down. We're seeing fewer and fewer people in isolation. Um, what, what we saw is what most people saw across the country initially with Delta, which is that I think young people felt like COVID wasn't really something they had to worry about because when we saw the first waves of the virus, they really weren't affected. And even when they got the virus, they were typically asymptomatic. And what we saw with Delta is that younger people were actually getting sick. And I think when folks saw that and recognized that, they thought, I don't wanna end up sick. I don't wanna create a situation that helps feed um, the crisis on our campus. And so they stepped in and made some changes themselves. And, and so we're seeing um, fewer and fewer of our, our isolation and quarantine um, spaces filled. And and we see our students really stepping up. And in fact, all last year, we only had one incident of a student who didn't want to wear a mask. And, and so far this year, we had a student who uh, came from out of state um, and uh, decided that uh, they didn't want to follow masking protocols and so left but we haven't had serious problems with compliance on campus. And you see even on 
in the quad. You know, some students are still wearing masks outdoors. Indoors, the compliance has been very good. Very good. And, and um, typically, I think what most people feel like is if they're with their pod, so your roommates, um, the people that you live with, um, you can be unmasked even indoors. So we create those pods. But then when you're in close contact, like a classroom with people that you don't have that kind of regular contact with that are in your pod, then we really want people to mask up. And um, we haven't heard a lot of concerns from our faculty. It, there's a learning curve always at the beginning of the semester, and that's part of the reason we had to, we wanted to step in and say, hey, let's take the right steps here. But then our, our community did. Is it different in terms of student health this year? Because with the Delta variant, part of the equation is that younger people are getting sicker. Are you seeing that on campus? We did, especially at first when we saw that that initial peak that um, triggered that letter to be sent out. We don't want people to be sick. Um, and you know, it's hard on a young person, especially a young person who's away from home for the first time, to fall ill away from home. But we learned a lot last year. So, for example, um, uh, last year our students told us as soon as we had the quarantine and isolation space that they felt really lonely when they were in that space and that when they weren't working on school and when they weren't FaceTiming with their friends or their family, they had nothing to do. Right. And so we actually created kits to bring people like arts and crafts supplies mm -hmm. or music supplies. And it made it a lot easier for them to feel like they were doing something that was meaningful to them. So we learned a lot last year, and I think that's helped um, all of our students weather that kind of experience. But we've also been getting, um, we had a voluntary survey, and uh, it closes this Friday, so we'll be able to share figures with you when we get those figures. But a much higher percentage of our, our, our students, faculty, and staff are vaccinated than we anticipated. So the other part of the equation, and really where I think there's a public interface is with football and with athletics. And walk me through the decision-making process that you're going through here, because it's gotta be an incredibly difficult decision because you have to weigh health and safety, community health and safety, not just campus health and safety with, there's a revenue component. I mean, this is your revenue sport that has only so many opportunities to have fans go through the, the turnstiles. Just walk us through that whole process. Well, and I would add, I would add something else that I think feels even more important than the revenue component to me. And it's not that revenue doesn't matter. I mean, that football does help support all of our athletic programs. Every single student athlete on this campus benefits. But it's really about something else. And I think you can see this in the response of our students and our fans and our whole community. Um, when I was at other universities that didn't have um, athletics programs, you found people affiliating with just their major or with just the place that they lived in the community. At Boise State, people affiliate with each other because they all see themselves as Broncos. Mm -hmm. And so for me, there's a really big community component to that. And it's about the arts major, the engineering major, our amazing custodial staff, our community members, all feeling like they have this thing in common that they're pulling for. And right now, Kevin, I feel so strongly that when there's so much pitched political conflict, conflict that people being able to come together and have an experience together is valuable. But we also had to, as you said, really think carefully 
about what we were seeing in public health. So when crisis standards of um, care were declared on Thursday, I spent a long time on the phone with the CEOs of St. Luke's and St. Al's, with our board. Um, I think uh, at other institutions in the state or institutions that have fewer people in their facilities, it didn't feel as urgent as it did for us. And it's not just because we have you know, tens of thousands of people in the stadium, it's because as, as you've said, it affects everybody. But we're seeing data from around the country. And this is new data that we're really trying to gather in some concrete ways right now. Because you have to wait a certain period of time to know with certainty. <laughs> we're seeing a lot of data that's suggesting that these big football games that are held in outdoor stadiums are not creating um, COVID spikes. So we're trying to gather some hard data right now because we're just at that point now where we can get some two-week data and get some clarity. And we're looking around the country at schools with similar sizes, um, similar stadium sizes or, or larger. And um, we're also looking at our own campus community. And we've seen very few cases that um, uh, we think are coming from our first football game. And so we want to gather the data and have another conversation um, with our healthcare leadership in the state and our public health office and and really look carefully at that. And then it's been, um, our board has been really thoughtful about trying to be supportive and engaged with all the universities as we've um, gone through the whole pandemic from the very beginning. And so we want to have them in that conversation, of course, as well. So um, we're looking to gather as much data as possible. And I feel very fortunate that this week we're out of town. And so that gives us a little more time to, to really understand what we can. But I put in And a to roll in the new protocols for all fans, not just students. Right. And, and, and what we have to determine is, is that important to public health? And so because we're not seeing a lot of stadiums around the country that are having those requirements. Now, we're the the program where there's um, big college football and crisis standards of care. So right. we need to think about both of those combined. Um, so we're going to gather that information and really try to understand what our next step will be. But I think it was um, it was a good step for us to work with our students, and we actually found an amazingly small number of positives when we did all that testing before the game. And so um, that was very, very encouraging. Because there, you know, we had, we actually- The positives gives you a data point to work off of, right. you know, in terms of campus safety and that's campus right. health. And, but also, um, it, of course, the students that are at our football game are, are a random sample of students. Mm -hmm. Unlike the students who are reporting on the survey, because that could be, you know, there could be some, um, selection bias, like students are selecting out to report because they've been vaccinated or because they've recently had COVID or something, right? And so uh, with a with a football game, it's a little, it's a, it's a different slice. And uh, we're also conscious that in the Treasure Valley, we don't want to be putting pressure on the healthcare system in any way, either because of patients or because we're leaning in on the testing capacity in a way that could make hardship. So, we want to really bring all those factors together and be very thoughtful in our analysis. But it seemed to, and one last question on this sure. uh, on this topic, reading your message with the, the hospital CEOs, and I think it was not lost on me that you were co-writing with the CEOs, 
the tone of it, it seems like you were kind of taken aback by what happened with the first game and maybe some of the social media backlash over, you know, mask noncompliance at that first game. It was actually, we've had such good compliance on campus. We expected, I really was surprised. We expected to have some non-compliance because we saw some of that on social media before the game. But it was, I mean, our own students have been heroes of, of compliance with our public health standards. And it was the excitement of that game. I think people just cast it off. Mm-hmm. And so um, uh, we were we were as surprised as, as everyone else was that we had... Um, as little compliance as we did. I mean, you could find a few people in the stands and there were more at this game who did, but um, even so, uh, we did have um, fairly low. For our audio audience, the Bronco helmet mobile just drove by. <laughs> go, go, go on, I'm sorry. Thank you. Um, um, we had, we had, really quite surprising um, lack of compliance. I think we were all surprised. And then what we, you know, what we don't want is if people feel so strongly about this issue, um, we don't want to create, when you've got um, healthcare challenges, you don't want to create a crisis that puts people in pitched physical conflict with each other either. And so um, we, this is why gathering this data that we're doing nationally and locally right now is really critical to that decision-making process. So I go back to, it feels longer ago, but it was only a month ago that you gave your State of the University address and you yeah. talked at great length about the lessons from the pandemic last school year, the adjustments from last school year. What lessons are especially resonant right now in this phase? Mm, that's such a good question, Kevin. I think actually what I would say is rather than specific lessons that are resonant, what is resonant is it's not a time to sit back and rest and feel like everything is normal. That <laughs> that like last year, we're going to have to be conscious that we have to continue adapting. We have to continue being responsive. We can't rest. We have to continue to be thoughtful. And, you know, I, I had someone say to me recently, um, Healthcare workers are exhausted. And of course, this has been an incredibly difficult period for them. And the person who was speaking to me was a teacher. And the teacher said, we are too. And what I heard from our students at our first executive team meeting this year, um, I heard from our student government leadership that our, the way they described it was students came into August feeling like it was already February, like they had already, you know. So I think that fatigue that we're seeing in healthcare now, and healthcare people are have people's lives in their hands. Yeah. But I think educators at all levels have felt like they've had to just stretch so hard to meet the needs of the students and students have the academic and mental welfare of their yes. students in, in their hands to yes. a large degree. Yes, and 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 the students have had to stretch back, and it's been this incredible challenge. And and what we know is that, um, and I think this is something I talked with you about once before, when my son, who's 19, came to me and said, this time is harder for me than it is for you, mm-hmm. I said, oh, come on, you don't have a family, you know, you're not having to worry about your job getting cut. 
But that's actually what the data shows is that young people have experienced this as a greater difficulty and challenge than people my age. And so trying to be responsive to the fact that our students um, are carrying a, a burden that may not be visible to us because it's not physical. I think it's, I think that's really important. I want to shift to one of the, the programs you talked about in your state of the university. You've spoken about it before, the, the Institute for Advancing American Values. This is going to come online this fall. What can people expect to see this fall and beyond? Um, we, we are still hoping, we've been watching carefully with the pandemic because what we really wanted was for people to be able to be in a big room with each other. <laughs> and, and we want to do, be able to do that safely when we do that. And we um, really want for the events and um, the Institute to invite people from across the political spectrum. So we don't want to tell people, here, do some things that, are, that really run counter to your philosophies at this moment. So we're looking at what timeline makes the most sense, but we are um, preparing for our Distinguished Lecture Series. We're preparing for a series of events under the Institute. We've reached out to people and connected with them and invited them to be a part of the events. And we've had incredible support from around the state. People are so excited about it. So we definitely still will launch this fall, but our events may come a little later because we want to be really um, engaging the entire community in them. And the events for an institute like this are really important because you want people with different perspectives coming together because there's going to be a different level of listening and communicating in person as opposed to over Twitter or over Zoom. That's exactly right, Kevin. And in fact, for me, what feels so vital, so um, Times Higher Ed just did a story that I think it just came out today or yesterday um, on the challenges that university presidents are facing right now, especially in states where there's a real tug of war over higher education. And um, one of one of the leaders who is retiring was talking about how important it is to engage in serving rural communities, which as you know, has been a huge um, effort of mine. And uh, I think also efforts like the Institute are really critical to saying to people, you know, it's our students and our communities right to make their own decisions about what they believe, but we wanna be that place where those conversations can meaningfully take place. So you're right, that face-to-face experience, I think, does matter. Mentioning the tug of war, mm-hmm. you got the State Board of Education proposing a policy, working on a policy, perhaps voting on a policy in October on diversity, inclusion, equity. A lot of the issues that uh, you've been you've been talking about for, for two years and have been in the middle of uh, you know, some backlash uh, over for mm-hmm. the past couple of years. What do you make of the State Board's policy? and? the direction they're trying to go and well i know they're in the process of of making some revisions to that and working on that right now because as you probably know the state board president expanded the time for people to give feedback and so i'm i'm curious to see what will come to the table in october and and better understand you know what the board is thinking and where they want to go with it and i think you know there's a way in which it feels like um to many people like it's been pressing on a wound you know 
And oh, so yeah. I think we the value in defining the terms for people is to help. I think sometimes people misunderstand what those terms mean. And, and it increases their level of resistance. Now, they might still disagree once they understand what they mean, but they have a right to understand actually what we're talking about when we say that. But the terms become so loaded that they may not be thinking about beyond the ground policy. Exactly. And so, you know, um, we've made a lot of changes to try to be much more descriptive about what we're doing so that people understand, for example, that like I had I had somebody ask me once this last year, um, but do you just want to? You know, do you just want to serve students of color? And I said, of course we want to serve students of color, but we also want to serve our rural students, our veteran students, uh, any any population of students as they come together and see connections themselves. And and I said to you know I said to this person, you know, does it concern you that we serve veterans? Oh no no no. Um, does it concern you when we serve rural students? Oh no no no. So it's, we really need to understand that broader spectrum because I think what's happened often is a few of our programs have gotten sliced off and discussed rather than the whole slate. Because I think if you saw the whole slate, what you'd see is we're just doing our darndest to figure out how to help every single student be Diversity successful. addressing a spectrum of communities within, right. within the campus. So one last question. So college and university presidents spend a lot of time looking at rankings. U.S. News and World Report rankings came out last week, and I know you were uh, pointing to the innovation ranking. Boise yeah. State was ranked in the top 50 in terms of innovation, and I know that's been that's been a recurring message from you for, for two years. What is the innovation that higher education needs right now? Uh, whether that's in a pandemic or whether that's in the political climate, I mean, the, the big fix that you think is most needed right now? I think that there are a couple of things. And um, I don't know, Kevin, if um, you are aware that we're involved in a national program right now that's asking students to come together and redesign higher education. Um, it's called Rep4. And we partnered with um, a university in each region of the country. And Boise State is one of the primary nodes. We're the node for the Pacific Northwest. And, and the folks who got together to develop this program um, really uh, focused on universities that were willing to sort of turn things around a little bit and ask, how do we do this better? And you may have heard me say before that one of the things that attracted me to this job, I mean, I came here from the UC and ASU. ASU is incredibly innovative. The UC is known as one of the most excellent university systems in the country. But when I went from ASU to the UC, what I found is that Often people were just asking the question, well, what are the other UCs doing? Mm -hmm. And that felt so limited to me. Um, I would say, well, who cares what they're doing? What do we what should we do? be doing? And, and so when I came and interviewed at Boise State, I would literally say things like, well, there's this possibility of how you can serve students. And people would say, oh, yeah, we'll do that. And that felt so exciting to me. You know, if it works better for students, we'll do that. And so we're asking students to help us understand what their needs are. And it was really interesting because this group of students in this national summit, almost all of their concerns revolved around how they could generate community. Because they felt like once they had that network of support, they would thrive academically. 
And so that was clearly in the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, one of their primary needs, which brings us back to those student support programs. So I think we need to ask students what they need and to give them the tools to actually assess because it's hard when you've only seen one thing to imagine outside of it. You don't, you know, you have to be willing to break what's possible a little bit, like blue turf, right? <laughs> um, how do you do the things completely differently? Who asks the question, why does the turf have to just be green? It's not real grass, you know? So you have to be the ones that say, what, what color could the turf be? So I think it's partly about asking students, but the other thing that I would say is, as states nationally, and so I'm not just speaking about Idaho, I'm speaking about the national landscape, have invested less of their general fund in higher education. Mm -hmm. We need to find ways to help students get access to public education. And so that means we need to find other sources of support for them. When I was a young person um, graduating from high school in Wyoming, a college education at the University of Wyoming cost $435 a semester. So my sister, who's 10 years older than I am, um, said, I don't understand why students complain. I just got a part-time job. Because when all you need is $435 per A part-time job can cover it. That's right. But when you're talking about a much bigger amount of money, that's not going to be no. enough. And so I've, I've said before that one of my primary aims is to make sure, you know, we're a public institution for the state of Idaho, to make sure that for Idaho students, cost is not a barrier. So one of my primary fundraising goals has been to really build up that True Blue Scholarship because right. that's dedicated to Idaho students. So I think it's two things. It's understanding from students what they need. And the it's, communities they're looking for. And it kind of goes back to a lot of what we've been talking about today. Yes, yes. And, and that same thing with football, right? Like mm -hmm. having those experiences. So what do students need and how do we help them make it possible? Pay for it. Yeah. Dr. Trump, there's always so much more I could ask you, but I feel like we covered a lot of ground today and hopefully we can catch up again down the road. Thank you so much. It's a real pleasure to talk to you, Kevin. Again, that was Boise State University President Marlene Trump with a completely unrehearsed cameo appearance from the Boise State Helmet Mobile. Just another podcast first. It's been a busy week at idahoednews.org. A lot to catch up on if you haven't already been reading what we've uh, had on the website. I have the latest on coronavirus case numbers and the coronavirus trends. That's a feature that I write every Monday, so you can look for that on Monday morning. I also have a piece that I published on Thursday looking at contact tracing and the difficult process of trying to figure out whether coronavirus cases are spreading from schools into the community or from community into schools. Devin Bodkin has a profile of a Victor principal who made the decision to require masks in school. Sammy Edge has a piece about sick leave for teachers and how the coronavirus pandemic is affecting that. And if you're detecting a uh, prevailing theme here in the stories, it does feel like everything we write these days has something to do with coronavirus and the Delta variant. We'll keep covering all of these angles as they come along, but we could use your help. We'd love to hear from you. We want to hear from teachers. We want to hear from parents. We want to hear from students about your experience during the pandemic and during this uh, outbreak of the Delta variant. Reach out to us. We want to tell your stories. In the meantime, keep checking idahoednews.org for the latest news. We'll have uh, the latest on education policy and education politics as it happens. 
Follow us on Twitter at IdahoEdNews. We tweet out our links and any bulletins to breaking items. Follow us on Facebook and join the conversation there. And check back here next Friday for another edition of the podcast. Until then, I'm Kevin Richard. Stay safe and have a good week. 